Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. And welcome to episode 0000168 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James, broadcasting to you tonight from World AAA headquarters in Brunswick East at the end of the 96 line. And it's great to be here. And as we know, the end of the 96 line is on Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present. And to any mob that are out there listening tonight, wherever you are, across this great big broad land of ours. And speaking of ours, it's always good to remember that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It's been quite a quite a week and a bit. We've lost three musical icons in the space of that time. And one thing I will say about all three of them is that not only were they great artists and um, great performers, but they were also people that uh, gave far more than they took. They were all community-minded they're all society-minded, and they invested themselves into various causes and subjects that um, will be to the benefit of all of us moving forward. So here's to uh, Uncle Archie, Judith, and Olivia. Now, uh, to the subject matter of uh, tonight's show, we live in very strange times at the moment. Uh, as much as it feels like there's a lot of lot changing about this place through things like the treaty process here in Victoria and the move towards uh, a voice to Parliament federally, there's also things at the same time that are happening where there is little or no movement on things such as the closing the gap targets, where we continue to have Aboriginal people of all ages as well being locked up in record numbers when we're talking about the justice system. And we continue to suffer death in custody at alarming levels. In New South Wales' case, record levels, particularly in 2021. So later in the show, we'll speak with the Principal Legal Officer from the New South Wales Aboriginal Legal Service, Nadine Miles, who will, I guess, take somewhat of a deep dive with us in terms of exploring why that might be the case and why things continue to go backwards. So yes, we are in a weird environment where great, pro- great progress is being made on things that at the moment are symbolic in form, and I say that because at this stage, things like the Treaty and the Voice to Parliament actually haven't been enacted, which is fine. Those are work in progress, and it's also very pleasing to see that as a country, we're open to investing in those processes and, and getting some sort of restorative justice down the track. But those things are still a little way off and have yet to occur. And then there's this other space where it's like we're wading through molasses uphill to actually get any, cha- get any change. And while one part of what we're doing is full of hope and optimism, the other part is full of hurt and pain. But it is my belief, and I know it's the belief of uh, several mob and people across the country that work in this space, is that we're big enough to deal with both at the same time. It's important that we don't fall into the divisive trap of only dealing with one or the other. That'll take us back to the days of practical reconciliation as espoused by John Howard, an idea that stalled 
and thwarted the Australian story for over a decade. And it's something that the remnants of his political spawn still try and witch us with to this very day. We mustn't let them. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. The voice in the treaty will place Aboriginal people in the centre of the Australian story. And with that, there is value to be added and also value to be taken by the broader um, uh, broader population. So shortly we'll be joined on the line by the executive leave of Oxfam's First Peoples Program, Nara Murray, to talk about um, a, a summit that's taking place later this week in Canberra called the Straight Talk Summit, which will be held and there'll be over um, uh, dozens and dozens of delegates from across the country, all women, who will get a chance to speak and meet with power and learn some of the ins and outs of how to use that power and wield that power and the strategies behind that power in their local communities. So looking forward to that conversation with, with Nara. Um, if you want to text during the program, there is a text line. The number is 0466981027. This is the mission from Triple R World Headquarters. Stick around. Triple R. Now, later this week, more than 50 First Nations women from across Australia will, will travel to Canberra to learn about the federal political system while forming what will hopefully be powerful networks at the Oxfam's Australia's Straight Talk National Summit. It'll be the first time the summit will have been held due to something called the pandemic for over three years. It'll provide an opportunity for participants to meet with parliamentarians and gain insights into how political power can be utilised within the halls of government and, more importantly, back in their local communities for the betterment of mob. Now, to tell us about this and other things is proud Wamba Wamba Yorta Yorta Dadarura and Jaja Wrong Woman Nagara Murray. Nagara is many things, including a member of the First People's Assembly of Victoria, but for the purposes of this conversation, we are talking to her in her capacity as Executive Lead at Oxfam's First Peoples Program. And I'm very pleased to say that Nagara is on the line with us now. Nagara, welcome to the mission. Oh, good evening, Daniel, and thanks for having me on the show. No worries. I've, I've enjoyed you on the socials for quite some time, especially <laughs> your postings of, uh, of uh, Uncle Doug. Um, yes. And um, how proud you are to be a... Um, uh, I guess a, a, an ancestor, or here to have him as an ancestor, an elder in, in your community, and it's always so informative. And it's um, as a fellow Yorta Yorta person, so it's great to see his life celebrated as much as it is. So, um, thank you for that first up. Oh, thank you, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's good to connect with you as a Yorta Yorta countryman. Um, so, obviously, got that connection there through Yorta Yorta and, and my grandfather. Um, Doug Nichols. Yeah, I mean, you're Yorta Yorta, you've got the connection there, and it explains why you're so good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Um, Now, you must be excited. It's the first time in three years you've been able to hold um, this summit, the the, um, uh, Oxfam Australia Straight Talk National Summit. Um, Tell us about the genesis of the idea and and the idea that led to the summit itself. Yeah, so... So Straight Talk um, is a First Nations women's political engagement program and, and much, much more, but it's been going for over 13 years now. And Oxfam has had the privilege of coordinating the Straight Talk National Summit for over a decade. Um, and through the program, you know, we've been able to witness a truly comprehensive view of politics. Mm-hmm. And um, Oxfam are very fortunate to host. Um, it started as a, a national summit many years ago, and then it became this kind of comprehensive program 
because we built such a huge network of women right across the country. And through the program, we've politically activated more than 950 black women into the Australian political sphere. And the program has really been effective in making a difference in the lives of those women, um, you know, building women's alliances and networks across the country and increasing women's, you know, participation in in leadership positions, um, you know, positions of influence, and, you know, they go back to their communities um, and there's a ripple effect that happens within their families and communities. So, yeah, so it's an amazing program. It supports women to make positive changes, like through political engagement and build capacity um, as change makers. And it teaches women about the Australian political system and how they can use political engagement to create that change that they want to see in their community. So it's an amazing program. And it started back in 2009, um, and yet it's just grown from then. It's such a great idea because, you know, as we as we know in Garrow, is that uh, um, Aboriginal First Nations uh, women are often the most disenfranchised in society, disempowered by, by the system. So having an opportunity for them to get together in... And, and have access to that power and to those insights surrounding that power is, is, is really amazing. Where is everyone coming from? Are they coming from all over the country? Yeah, so they're coming from all over the country. Um, they're also, you know, from many different nations and language groups. And the age ranges from 20s up to 60s. Um, and the women have a wealth of life experience that has contributed, you know, to their collective passion and drive um, and the change they want to make in the community. So we've got a really diverse cohort. They've been really patient because it's taken a while <laughs> for us to get through kind of, you know, COVID lockdowns um, to get women back face-to-face in Canberra. So they're all really excited, um, you know, about coming up to Canberra on Sunday and on Ngunnawal, Nambri country, um, you know, to start their kind of straight talk journey. And I guess... It's just as um, informative for, for the parliament, parliamentarians and uh, other leaders that will be involved in the program to hear from these women with their wealth of experience, their inside knowledge, their insights into what it is to be on the front line of some of the issues you'll be talking about. Yeah, so they'll meet um, a number of you know politicians and staff um, within Parliament House. Um, it's all a very new part of um, the experience of straight talk for some women, you know, since colonisation, obviously our people have been excluded from political participation and that in particular with women, you know, many of our women feel alienated and have a lack of faith in the electoral system that represents their issues and they have that lack of trust too. You know, a lot of our people don't vote. Um, So Mm. it's a real big opportunity for women to come together to learn about the system as I said, they'll take part in, like, some small group meetings with politicians. They'll hear from some of their representatives. You know, they'll participate in a Senate role play. Um, you know, they'll get to meet... We've got two amazing women um, with Dorinda Cox and the Senate President, Sue Lyons, participating in the program um, and talking to the women. An amazing um, group of women coming together, um, yeah, to learn about the system and how it works and to break it down and unpack it. Um, and understand what it means um, to us because these people are in the parliament making decisions on our behalf. Yep. Um, so it's good to know who your representation is and who's there at the table. Absolutely. So will, will the participants actually get to sit on the um, uh, on the Senate floor or um, is that out yeah, of bounds? So, yeah, so unfortunately this national summit, because usually we'll go during a sitting week, mm-hmm. but due to the new government and change of dates and things, what they'll do is they'll zoom in to their um, electorate. So... 
they'll meet with female parliamentarians that are part of their electorates online and there will be some women in attendance. But, yeah, they'll do a tour of parliament. Usually they'd go to question time um, and meet with the parliamentarians in, in the parliament. But, unfortunately, this year, yeah, it's kind of a hybrid approach um, with the changes of dates and things like that and just making sure that we've... Um, you know, COVID safe and everything. Yeah. Um, but they're, yeah, super excited, I think, just to get into the space with other like-minded women and our women of parliament um, and to make, make that connection because, you know, it is also about um, the confidence and the connection that they, they make around um, the Straight Talk cohort. So, yeah, they're super excited um, to come into to Canberra and also to focus on some of the practical tools mm. um, that we need, you know, when engaging with the system and building on those networks as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's super exciting. It, yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, even though it's not a sitting week, the opening ceremony is still going to be hosted by the Minister yeah, for yes, Indigenous so Australians, Linda Burney, eh? Yes. Which is great. So having, um, you know, Linda Burney as the first Aboriginal woman as Minister for Indigenous Australians, so she'll be in attendance. And I think, too, there's a bit of a buzz around it, too, because we've now got kind of eight Aboriginal senators. Yeah. And I think three members of um, the House of Reps in the Parliament, which is the, the, the most we've had. Um, so I think they're really looking forward, you know, to meeting with some of those um, representatives. Um, and really, the program is really there to amplify the voices of the women um, and ensure that they have a seat at the table, you know, when it comes to making decisions within the communities, they start to build on that relationship um, when they go back home. There's so many positives. Um, There's so many positives to all oh, this. And, and, you know, m- maybe if not the strongest positive, is the opportunity for, for these women to get together and get to know each other and network themselves because yes. between them, there wouldn't be a problem they wouldn't be able to solve and each day wouldn't be able to confront yes. something that they weren't able to over, overcome. So that shared knowledge and that network is going to be something that will probably last well beyond um, the summit itself. Yeah, absolutely. And coming together as a collective. And these are lifelong relationships they make yeah. um, with each other and with their parliamentarians because they'll go back and they'll know who their representative is, who they contact, who they lobby, who do they send a letter to. You know, they learn all those kind of tools and processes that are in place around, you know, some of the issues they have in communities they want to raise with their local MPs and stuff. So, yeah, just coming together, that many black women in one space. <laughs> it's amazing to see, um, you know, their, their mothers and grandmothers and aunties and sisters. So bringing them all together into the one space is, is a powerful, you know, way to, to bring our women together. And, you know, they'll, they'll keep that bond as they go along um, into the future. I wish I could um, come so, yeah. along because, you know, I know I can't come along, but I wish I could come along <laughs> because um, these, these people are the glue that sticks so many they families are. and communities to, together and, and without them, you know, we as a we as a mob and mobs across the nation are so diminished and, and you know, you could almost yeah. say we're nothing without some of these people. That's right. And, you know, they're the backbones of our families, these women. And I think what's more empowering than having these women exercising their rights, you know, their political rights, holding governments and decision makers to account. Um, you know, so this is what we're trying to do with this program and we're really fortunate this year um, to work with Turnstone Collective, um, so Michelle Deshong and Carla McGrath, so Michelle oh, uh, from Northern Queensland, uh, political scientist and yep. you know governance expert, and and Carla McGrath, Tosha Islander woman, um, so they'll lead the summit, so it's Aboriginal and Tosha Islander led, oh, fantastic, um, and they'll lead this program over the next yeah, week. So yeah, it's really um, really deadly, and yeah, we're just really excited to be a part of it. It is 21 past seven. Uh, you listen to the mission on three triple R one hundred two point seven FM. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm having a conversation with Nagara Murray, 
who is the executive leader of Oxfam's First Peoples Program. We're talking about Oxfam's Australia's Straight Talk National Summit, in which 50 First Nations women from across Australia will travel to Canberra and uh, yarn and meet with power and network and take it back to the communities and enrich everything and everyone in their presence. Um, just a question to, to you, uh, Nagara. Now, you, you're a member of the First Peoples Assembly... Um, yep, I sure am. I see you on the socials. I know your reputation. We haven't formally met, which is, um, you know, to my <laughs> diminishment. Yeah. Um, you ever thought about going into the politics yourself? No, I haven't. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a rep on the First People's Assembly of Victoria. That's kind of, you know, the start of a black parliament. We're looking yeah. at Assembly 2.0 now. Um, but I haven't considered, you know, entering formal politics. But I'm enjoying my time, which, which is additional to my role at Oxfam, on the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria. And I think, you know, down here, we're, we're real trailblazers, as you know. Our old people with William yeah. Cooper and, you know, my grandfather, um, Doug Nichols and Marge Tucker, they've always been the trailblazers. But I think, you know, when it comes to those core elements of voice, treaty, truth, I think we're really leading the way, you know, having a democratic voice in the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria. You know, we're working uh, with the state on elements of a treaty negotiation framework, so... You know, about to establish our treaty authority, um, you know, so, so getting us in a good position for traditional owners to negotiate with the state, you know, on treaties for Victoria. And then we've got the truth-telling too because we've got the Europe Justice Commission. Um, so that's been amazing to have the first one of its kind in Australia. So those elements of voice treaty truth are really important. But, yeah, I've enjoyed my time on the Assembly and that, that's been challenging and, you know, exciting and <laughs> all different types of emotions. But, yeah, I've never thought of entering formal politics, but I, I, I like the idea of a, a black parliament Have a think or a about it. government. Have a think about it. That's <laughs> all will. I'm saying. I I'm will. not saying any more than that. Uh, look, when you're up in yeah, Canberra, you should speak to the Minister for Indigenous Australians and get her to come down here and see what's happening with uh, with the Uruk yeah, and the absolutely. First Peoples Assembly because you're absolutely right, yeah. as per usual. We are uh, trailblazers down yep. in this place that we now call Victoria. I'd actually love to have yep. you on the show another time with maybe one or two others and we can just talk yeah, about the great. Marge Tuckers and the Sir Doug Nicholls yeah. and the William Keepers of the yeah, world. I love that. Yeah. Um, the because old people. Yeah, the old people. There is so much to uh, learn and understand about how far ahead of the pack they were yeah. back in the day. It's just phenomenally unbelievable. Um, yep. Uh, one more question before um, before yep. I let you go. Um, uh, just your general experience with the, the First Peoples Assembly. How, how have you found it? Is it has it been something that's been culturally and intellectually enriching? It, it has been, and it's something that we've never done before. And I think for the first time, we've got such a diverse group sitting at the table. You know, we've been voted in by our community. Um, but it's been absolutely amazing coming together as a collective and having that collective strength um, around decision-making for treaties in Victoria. But I'm just really excited to get the power back in the hands of our people and into the, you know, traditional groups. Yep. Um, for them to start to activate their treaties once the framework's done. And also, you know, that'll benefit to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that live in Victoria. So we'll leave that's no right. one behind. That's right. Um, that, it's not yeah. just for traditional owners, isn't it? I think that's the important thing that people need to remember is. is that it's for all mob that come from here, from, yeah. from nations everywhere across the country yeah, that absolutely. will benefit from this. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been really enriching being part of that experience it's been an amazing experience i think our term ends next year so it's a four-year term mm -hmm. um so we will be you know calling on our, our mob to put their hand up and run for the next election next year 
Um, but we had a very clear purpose and mandate to what we had to do, which was the framework. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it's been amazing just having those conversations in the chamber and having kind of, you know, the, the start of a little black parliament um, that's kind of representative of some of our groups across the, the nations. But, um, yeah, I, I've loved it, but it's been hard work. Yeah, <laughs> especially on top of your role. Yeah. yeah, Especially on top so, of the work that you already do. Yeah, I know, because it's additional to our jobs, our full-time jobs. But we hope in Assembly 2.0 that the roles will be full-time for people so that people that, that, that run um, to sit on the Assembly, that'll be like a full-time job because, um, yeah, I think it needs to be. It requires attention um, and detail. Focus. Yes. So, yeah, but otherwise it's been really exciting to be a part of that movement and it's just mobilising our mob now, um, you know, to get treaty ready and, and build up our nations to prepare um, for what treaties will look like on, on each kind of country and across those different, you know, language groups. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Um, I would like you to come back, actually, and report about yeah, how, how the summit went because um, yes. uh, yep. I, I don't feel like we, we should leave it here. We should um, uh, get a, get a <laughs> yeah, full report from you and um, yep. uh, tell us how, how the summit went. And, you know, it, it's great speaking to, you know, the chairpersons of, um, of the First Peoples Assembly as well. Um, but it's also great to speak to, to members like you who are um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just part of the process. Group. Yeah, so it'd be good. Um, we've got so many amazing people on that assembly, so it's good to hear different voices. But, yeah, I'd love to come back any time, so, yeah, let me know. <laughs> Most magnificent. Thank you for your time, Nagara Murray, and um, good luck, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you, Daniel. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. And to our second guest of the evening, the number of Aboriginal Australians who died in custody or as a result of a police operation in New South Wales in 2021 doubled the previous high set, high set 25 years ago, prompting furious calls for reform to the state's justice system. This has happened despite all we know through inquest after inquest, in spite of a Royal Commission, despite Black Lives Matter, and despite the meaningful nods and looks from our political leaders. Just like here in Victoria, through the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, the New South Wales Aboriginal Legal Service is on the front line of this ongoing tragedy. And so joining us now is Nadine Miles. Nadine is the Principal Legal Officer at the Aboriginal Legal Service from New South Wales slash ACT. She's an experienced solicitor. She has devoted well over 20 years to representing disadvantaged clients and fighting for reforms in the criminal legal system, as well as her long tenure of service at the Aboriginal Legal Service. In the past, Nadine has done defence work in Catherine in the Northern Territory, Law Reform Work for the New South Wales Government, and she's managed the Regional Office of Legal Aid New South Wales, and she's on the line with us now, I'm very pleased to say. Nadine, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel, and thank you for that warm welcome. Let's cut to the chase. Why do deaths and custody not only keep happening across not only New South Wales and the country, but why are they trending upwards? Oh, look, uh, Daniel, I wish I could answer that yeah. question for you and your listeners. Um, it's it's such a tra tragic 
set of circumstances that we find ourselves in in New South Wales. Um, as you said in your introduction, 16 people um, died in 19, in 2021, and that's a considerable increase if you look at the deaths over the years between 1997, which was the last high of eight. Um, why does it occur? Why does it continue to occur? Um, I suppose it really depends on when we look at, when we're talking about those 16 deaths, we're talking about people who are in custody, that is in police custody or in some form of detention. Mm. And then we've also got deaths occurring in police operations. Um, there's been a significant number of deaths, as we know, in corrective services custody uh, in recent years. And uh, some of those, yes, are natural causes, um, but there are too many that are occurring as a result of a poor, um, dismal uh, lack of health care uh, and attending to prisoners' needs whilst in custody. Um, so, you know, maybe we can come back to those issues, yeah. but, of course, seven of the 16 deaths we're talking about tonight um, occurred in police operations. And what we mean when we say police operations, we're talking about police wanting to arrest someone, serve a warrant, uh, police pursuing someone um, in a car chase, uh, pursuing someone on foot. There are multiple sort of examples of, of when police are conducting operations, but essentially they're in pursuit in some form or fashion and during that pursuit either someone dies or shortly thereafter that pursuit someone dies. So we're looking at um, behaviours of institutions when dealing with Aboriginal people um, and in, that, in those dealings, uh, a death occurs. So the answers, I mean, <laughs> oh, um, countless, as you say, countless bodies have looked at these issues, made multiple multiple recommendations as to how we can see these numbers come down and yet the numbers uh, still remain. Um, it's, um, it's apathy? A, yeah, it's, it... Is it apathy? Is it racism? Is it a lack of uh, real commitment to changing the circumstances for Aboriginal people in this country? Well, it's just... I, uh, I mean, it just seems to me like it's a... Uh... A combination of all those factors, which act, um, which basically turn out to, I guess, in a real sense, result in a lack of value for uh, First Nations people's life. I mean, you talked about the the seven of the sixteen uh, deaths being a result of police actions, and and one of the most well, they're all tragic, of course, but I guess one of the most um, uh, recent ones was the uh, the untimely. And tragic death of uh, Jai Wright, who was a Indigenous boy from uh, Reversby. Um, he was studying to be an um, electrician, and he died as a result of a uh, collision with with a police car. Um, that inquest will be taking place soon. Um, we've had inquest after inquest, Nadine. There's got to be a whole bunch of lessons that come out of that. But why aren't there any? lessons seemingly being enacted upon by not only the system but by our political leaders? That's a good question, Daniel. It's something that we've called for uh, in recent times, but unfortunately uh, those, those pleas, those 
um, calls to actually have a system of accountability and transparency across coronial inquests and the recommendations and what flows from those recommendations, we haven't seen. Now, that's not something that just the Aboriginal Legal Service in New South Wales has called for. Um, they have been called from the Royal Commission um, way back in 1991. That yeah. was one of their central recommendations to ensure that governments were taking um, account, were uh, monitoring and looking for the implementation of recommendations that flowed. But still, um, it's not happening to the level uh, of uh, transparency and um, interest in ensuring that justice is served. Uh, it just does not happen to the degree that it should. Um, and we have been uh, calling for that for some time now. It just seems to me that, um, like the, uh, the the findings and the recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody, at the end of the day, once that was handed down, there was actually no one person or no one body that was responsible for seeing the recommendations being implemented in a uniform manner across all states and territories. And it seems to me... Um, Nadine, that there's a similar issue at the state level where if you wanted to, you know, address some of these some of these deaths that are happening all over the place in every jurisdiction, that you would actually have, I don't know, a, a, commis a, um, a commissioner for Aboriginal custody or Aboriginal deaths in custody at the state level that had the power to get the various systems and departments and bureaucrats and leaders to actually engage with one another to make sure that someone doesn't end up in a police cell because they're having a health issue, um, that they're actually sent to hospital or to a healthcare setting instead of being locked away in a, in a cell by themselves. Is there any sort of movement towards that kind of initiative that you see not only in New South Wales or anywhere else across the country? Uh, look, um, uh, in a response to these high numbers that were coming through last year, Corrective Services New South Wales have commenced an internal review as to what they can do uh, to better improve the circumstances and to address the high numbers of deaths that occur. But uh, it, that 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 review that review that internal um, looking uh, can happen. Um, recommendations might be made internally, but corrective services are looking at themselves and thinking about what can they do better. Who will call them to account in relation to that um, review once it's finalised? There are on the record now numerous public re numerous recommendations made by. Uh, very thoughtful coroners who've looked intensely into the circumstances of death mm. um, and made countless, as I said, countless recommendations that they feel should be made and they're carefully considered and they're put out into the public space. They report, they report to Parliament um, and table reports and recommendations, but no-one polices those recommendations. Yes. No-one calls anyone to account on them. There is no one losing their jobs because things aren't changing quickly enough. The systems just keep on rolling on and circumstances are not changing um, in the way that, that, that the community expects. And we haven't seen in a way that the community deserves. We haven't seen one police officer um, in our history actually charged and uh, found guilty 
of a death yes. of an Aboriginal person in this country. So I, spe- I guess that speaks volumes. And just to go back to the various coronial inquests and, and some of the, and I agree, great coroners that have actually investigated some of these tragic um, cases. Um, I know here in Victoria, the coroners themselves have been very, very black and white, very strident where they see there needs to be reform and where they can identify things like systemic racism and interpersonal racism. But it seems to be, um, Nadine, that the, the disconnect seems to be between those inquests and the political will to actually do anything about it. That's correct. You, you hit the nail on the head. And um, you hit the nail on the head. There is, there is so much information, literature, learning um, that could be adopted and, and developed. Um, it's the political will. It's the desire to actually turn around these things um, for the community, for justice to be delivered to families across this country, that, that um, their personal tragic circumstances of losing someone in... In, in awful circumstances, has been has been heard, has been listened to, and and our politicians, our leaders, have have taken it up to the police, or taken it up to corrective services, or taken it up to Justice Health, and said, "No more. You must change this." Mm. And here's the time frame. Here's the money to do it because we just have had enough. Now that political will is lacking. It is nine to eight. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, Nadine Miles, who's the Principal Legal Officer at the Aboriginal Legal Service of New South Wales and ACT. We're talking about the alarming spike in uh, deaths in custody or as a result of police operations in New South Wales in 2021. Um, Nadine, I'm loath to, to have another Royal Commission, but we had that Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody way back in 1991, and there have been hundreds of deaths um, since then, it seems to me that we're kind of in an environment and in a period where truth-telling in public settings is something that is more widely accepted than it used to be. And given the the dozens and dozens of coronial inquests and all the information we have and the, 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 the families of victims that would be willing to come on the record to speak, do you think that it's worth not only revisiting the recommendations of the 1991 Royal Commission, but you think it's even worth considering having another Royal Commission to actually look into this, given that we are in a different time and place now? Um, oh, Daniel, I, I, I hear you. I, I appreciate um, that question. I just don't feel like I'm in a position to actually call for something like that sure. or to, to back something like that, in all honesty, without without having considered um, our community leaders uh, and taking their views on such such a step. Um, there's a lot of pain um, for family and community with such a significant number of deaths occurring since 1991. And that sense of hopelessness that here we go again, uh, people want to listen to us, scrutinise circumstances and do nothing. So whether or not a process like that would... Uh, end up ultimately causing more pain uh, for people with this fatigue of being investigated and looked at and nothing occurring. So 
I suppose there's a balancing exercise there. Um, clearly, there needs to be uh, accountability. Clearly, there's a lack of it. There needs to be transparency. There needs to be pressure put. There needs to be a call for action. But whether or not that kind of action with a long, lengthy Royal Commission is, is what is needed in this space, I'm not the best person to ask. But I... I um, I hear you in relation to the powers of commissions and the prominence of commissions and the spotlight that commissions can have on issues such as um, what we're talking about here tonight. Absolutely. I think it's um, something worth uh, pondering and I think your, your answer is a, is a really uh, well-considered and, and respectful one. So thank you for that. And also thank you for the work that you've done um, over the years in this space. It, uh, it really is the front line of where uh, the justice system meets disadvantage. So thanks for that. Um, Nadine Miles, thank you for coming on the program. Um, be great to have you back sometime. Uh, keep fighting the good fight. And um, this, uh, these airways will always be um, open to you and the New South Wales ACT Aboriginal Legal Service. Thanks very much, Daniel. Good night. Well, that's it for another episode of The Mission. Thank you to Nagara Murray for coming on and thank you to Nadine Miles for their valuable time. This episode will be available in around about 45 minutes on rrr.org.au but I might segment both of those interviews and put them up on the web for you to uh, listen and share around your networks about uh, talking about very important issues that uh, need to be discussed in the community more broadly. Uh, until next week, stay safe, stay strong, stay warm tonight, and stay listening. Ta-da! Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>